0: I strongly believe that almost every digital knowledge worker is already working remote they are doing emails on their way to work they are working fridays from a coffee shop you know mm-hmm. they are maybe doing uh, joining conference calls while they're on a business trip you know so everybody is already working remote the mm-hmm. only question is like how much mm-hmm. and how enabled mm-hmm. right so i strongly believe that let's say in the next five years, we'll just stop calling it remote work and just call call it work. (laughs) We'll just fucking call it work. Done.
1: Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. Today I interviewed Andreas Klinger. He is the head of remote at AngelList, former CTO at Product Hunt, and extremely intelligent and very knowledgeable about the current trend towards remote work. And when I make that statement, it's based on our interview, which The most insightful thing Andreas gave me in this interview was that in 10 years we won't be calling it remote work. We'll be calling it work because there is nothing unless you're doing hardware, unless you're doing something that really physically requires your teammates to be in the same spot, you really don't need to be in the same place. And the main thing that I've realized in my in my journey is that most of my coaching is now done remotely. So not only can your work be done remotely, but your personal life can also be done remotely. Now, you might have this inclination, oh, no, 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 that that can't happen to me. I would argue that that is a condition that you have placed on your own social relationships. And the more that unconditional you can become, the more joy you will experience in all things. Uh, And so working towards this doesn't really matter whether I'm in front of somebody. As long as I can be in that communication in that connection in that space where we're both sharing what's real for us, it can happen all over the world. Um, and I've seen it in my life like this really happens and it's a, basically a product of me getting used to it If you were to ask me 10 to 20 years ago like Stuart will you ever be able to do your therapy online? I would have said no effing way. There's no way that could have happened. Uh, like I hated talking on the phone. I hated these electronic form of communications. I kind of feel like the Chinese, you know, saying that pictures take your soul. I felt that. felt that anxiety. And now, of course, I'm doing a podcast, so I wonder what the microphone's doing to my soul. But hopefully, this is a value. You know, I'm 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 aiming to give people insight into their life so that they can become less stressed and more creative. Um, and this episode with Andreas is really super interesting, and I highly recommend you check it out. Um, If you did find this valuable, I'm running a course with Anders Jones, who rose $40 million in a Series A for his company, Facet Wealth. And we are going to be doing a online course, a short course on how to raise money for your startup uh, for a distributed team, in particular for for a company doing remote work. So if you have a company and you're thinking about raising either your seed stage or your Series A, uh, please consider applying to this course. We'll give you valuable information on how to raise your seed, Series A, also, information on hypergrowth because Anders is in currently in this hypergrowth stage. So he's building this company and he's hit that product market fit and he's about to take it off. Uh, and and so like I'm really interested for my own personal wisdom understanding like what are the things I need to do as a founder in order to prepare for this hypergrowth. Not necessary that I know it's going to happen, but if it happens, like that's a whole nother thing than that early stage thing where you're kind of tinkering and stuff like that. When you're growing a company, that's a whole different thing. So we're going to have a lot of information on that. And we'll also have some information on how to run a, um, a distributed team from Baltimore or from wherever you are in the world. Um, Anders is working out of Baltimore. So if you're interested, please find out more information. I'll be writing more about it at stuartalsop.substack.com. Again, that's stuartalsop.substack.com. S-T-E-W-A-R-T-A-L-S-O-P.substack.com. Dot com. Substack is spelled S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K. Hope you enjoy this episode. Please let me know what you think. Have a great day. So welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest here is Andreas Klinger. He is the former CTO of Product Hunt and head of remote at AngelList, and he invests in startups related to remote work. Really excited to have you on and talk about a lot of different stuff and take it wherever it goes. Cool. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so before we were talking, we were talking about like kind of spirituality and how you didn't want to talk about it, (laughs) or you didn't want to talk about it, but that it just wasn't something that you have an interest in. Uh, can you talk more about that? Uh,
0: yeah. Can you talk more about that having an interest (laughs) in something? Um, I mean, I, I have a very reduced view on spirituality. Um, so in general, I think it, it serves a very good purpose. In, in like religion spirituality all this kind of stuff reasoning where we come from where we come from where we will go and all this kind of things i think it's very useful it gives people meaning and all this kind of things. so i i think there's a huge important place for it for me personally um, i'm just not a very spiritual person mm. i strongly believe that one of the human superpowers we have is pattern recognition mm. and we are literally capable of finding patterns in everything You can show somebody a random, I don't know, painting and they will see patterns in it. Mm. They will recognize animals or whatever. Mm. You can show somebody a white wall for like the 10 minutes. They will start seeing things Mm -hmm. in there. Mm -hmm. Um, And the same is true for literally anything else. So like any pattern we notice, we start to like, even like reasoning where we come from and all this kind of stuff, we start to notice patterns and we try to give meaning by finding those patterns. And I think this is where a lot of this stuff comes from um that doesn't mean that they are not useful for Mm -hmm. people i think they are extremely useful for people i just for me personally
1: there is and that's really interesting because that gets into something that a lot of people find out once they've been on the spiritual path is that you go you start doing these practices meditation everything like that Mm -hmm. and then you start to have these visions of like oh you know like everything's happening and all this different stuff and then and then at some point you realize oh that's just my mind creating this all, all the time and like so that is part of spirituality. And they yes. call it spiritual materialism. Uh, exactly, basically, yeah. where 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 you create thought palaces of, of like how beautiful life is, and like you yes. know, it's all positive, and yes. and then yeah, it's not. It's like, um, and then an inter- another interesting point you brought up was pattern recognition, and a lot of uh, schizophrenia and paranoia comes when you start to pattern recon- recognize too much. Basically,
0: I assume. Yeah. Yeah. Could, sounds reasonable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The and also I. Regarding like where do we come from and all this kind of thing? I have a little bit of a again reduced extreme view on that Ah. Um, I personally believe that And maybe that's my spiritual Mm. approach. Mm. I believe that everything around us is functions. It's um, frequencies its patterns Mm. Um, and I believe that um, So I have like two strong beliefs like one is that everything is uh, frequencies Mm. everything is patterns so um recursion is like a very common theme Mm -hmm. in nature is Mm -hmm. a very common theme in like the creation of everything and that's like one angle and the other angle is complexity Mm -hmm. and i strongly believe that uh, we struggle judging things outside of our own domain of complexity what i'm trying to say is for example it might be in a cell each aspect of the cell uh, has like almost like its daily life and like this local catastrophes Mm -hmm. and might be very meaningful locally. Obviously you have to uh, discuss like reasoning there and everything. So this is complete at this point, everything I'm saying is complete bullshit. But like basically what I'm trying to get at is, um, for us from the outside, it's just like, it's like millions of cells that just die and go away and it doesn't matter. But like together we understand them as for example, an organism as like as a human. Um, and I strongly believe we can't like understand the local reasoning uh, the oh, same the way yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. S- or anything, yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. like mm-hmm. it could be stones, it could be the, it could be, and the same way is true for like the other angle, so um all the complex interactions in humanity uh if you reduce them and look at them from like a more complex view from the outside, will look the same way to anybody outside, so basically the outside can only judge from the outside, the inside can only judge from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put these two together, that's like my spirituality, if mm-hmm, you want, mm-hmm. um, and it's obviously complete b- made up BS. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like uh-huh. if I'm if I'm put to the like put and forced to say like what do I believe in, I would say it's this.
1: Interesting. So that I want to make sure I got that, got that right. It's basically complexity. So that and when you're in the complexity, it's hard to see out uh, from oh, yes, an outside yeah. angle of how complex it is. Or um,
0: you the outside perceives things from the outside, the inside perceives mm-hmm. things from the inside. Mm-hmm. So like basically saying uh, saying that um, we, or, or differently put, like uh, if you don't think about like um, reasoning mm-hmm. and like like meaning of life in the sense of like a conscious thing, but there's more as an abstract thing, mm. uh, literally everything has a meaning to exist mm-hmm. and has some... A rationale. A yeah. mm-hmm. um, we We... And in, on, a, on a local level, it might be really, really complex. And it you zoom out, like to a different complexity level, you just notice like the outcomes or the difference and all those kind of things. And I believe this is true on every angle. And mm-hmm. if you put this like on an exponential scale, you have this from
1: like atoms down uh, up to whole universes, universes. and everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you talking about this because this is something that I think about a lot, which is how. Because we as human beings are stuck in an uncertain situation, essentially. Everything is uncertain around us. Mm-hmm. But one of the evolutionary benefits of human humanity or one of the evolutionary tools that we have is meaning making, mm-hmm. is storytelling, all these things. And this is how we've taken over the world, making meaning where meaning does not exist. But then you get it at another level, which is meaning. So I'll give an example. My dad once said... Everything happens for a reason Mm -hmm. and that's often the thing that people say in spiritual world everything happens for a reason and they're talking about a cosmic you know Mm -hmm. reason like everything is is related and all that different stuff but what he meant was just like no there's a there's a there's an actual reason like there's Newton's third law of Mm -hmm. dynamics you hit something it moves Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like which gets into the spiritual concept of karma which a lot of people think gets into a good and bad type of thing. Like you do good, you will receive good. You do bad, you will receive bad. But that's just like a, not, it's not an accurate Mm -hmm. uh, understanding of that. Like a hangover is a better example of karma because Mm -hmm. you do something, there is a reaction. Mm -hmm. You drink a lot, you will have a hangover. Mm -hmm. It's just something that happens. So I think it's really interesting. This meaning kind of, so do you have a meaning in your life to what, what motivates you to do the things that you do?
0: Um, so when I started like, let's say, working at like, mm-hmm. university, um, I struggled finding the right people telling me or giving me advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started my first company, uh, or my first startup to be precise, I struggled, again, finding the right people, giving us, in this case, advice. Mm. We got, like, a lot of really bad advice, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, we At some point, our startup had, like, our business plan in two different languages. Our financial model was... <laughs> like, even just saying we had a business plan is confusing, right? Yeah. But, like, it in two different languages. Uh, we Our financial model was able to do balancing like uh-huh. at the year end and this kind of stuff like before, it, before, before we built anything right <laughs> yeah. uh we were talking to russian family funds in uh-huh. on a red square about how much <laughs> how much better russian money is like it's it's not only money it's russian money yeah. right <laughs> and like looking back none of this makes sense but like back then it made complete sense mm-hmm. but also like was recommended by a lot of people you know um so what like one meaning in my life is to help People live up their potential in a way. As right. cheesy as it sounds, uh, one angle I have to this is remote work. Mm. Uh, so, for example, I was in a fortunate position to a work for international opportunities um, in my career mm. uh, through a thing called the internet. Mm. Um, and the other opportunity I had was to work with really, really talented people mm. who just not happen to live in San Francisco, but. If, the, for example, like people which we had, at, for example, product hunt. If people we had at product hunt. If they would have moved to San Francisco, they would most likely uh, lead teams in, at Google mm-hmm, easily, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we had people in the team who built libraries, uh, like major libraries uh, for JavaScript, who are used by Google and like tons of other large companies, mm-hmm. and this kind of talent I was able to work with because I didn't restrict hiring, mm-hmm. you know? So it's almost like the opportunity on both ends, like like having a good career, but also like helping people finding a good career. So to, to, like I would say like, if there's meaning in my life, it's kind of like finding people who have international potential mm-hmm. or like, uh, like worldwide potential mm-hmm. and actually h- helping them a little bit to get forward here. Mm-hmm. This was like one of the motivations for me back then to actually join Ryan uh, early, early on, before investments and everything, to this crazy side project we called Product Hunt, uh, because it was kind of like this platform where you you launch something and if like if it was good, it didn't matter if you are, like live in Indonesia or South Africa or Brazil or San Francisco. If it's good, people will see it and like give you feedback and maybe promote it. Maybe investors find it. Maybe the press mm-hmm. finds it. And maybe it gets like really, really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and this kind of stuff is, uh, for me personally, highly motivating. Very interesting.
1: I think you would have be a great person to have a conversation with about globalization. Uh, and I don't mean globalization in a negative way or or even in a positive mm-hmm. way. I just As a trend, uh, I've spent a lot of my time living in other countries and mm-hmm. kind of working in other countries and, and being exposed to different cultures. Mm-hmm. One of the funniest things that growing up here in San Francisco and Redwood City, you get this multiculturalism here. Mm-hmm. And this multicultural narrative tells you that globalization is enforcing rigidity and unity on the on the whole rest of the world mm-hmm. so you go to Thailand it's basically turning into the same thing as the United States mm-hmm. I went to Thailand I lived in Thailand it's not true mm-hmm. it is it globalization is changing cultures into a more connected uh, unity but it is re- maintaining although it is changing those cultures in mm-hmm. new and novel ways and stuff like that what what is your view on this thing because now it seems like we are at the precipice of essentially a switch from where Silicon Valley relatively will not have as much weight in the in the future of technology mm-hmm. production and that it will decentralize to urban environments all over the world and it actually even like soon it'll be in rural areas that you can mm-hmm. actually create technology in, in rural areas. What what do you think about this?
0: Um so first of all I I <laughs> I was just like a few weeks in Bali on yeah. a conference and in parts of Bali it feels almost like they imported the LA cool. <laughs> You know, like this, everything is vegan, you have, like, Indian dream catchers, like, sold by, like, people who built, made them there. They're like, why do you have, like, Native American dream catchers here? Because people buy them, you know, like, obviously. Uh And uh, it almost feels like everything is a little bit more LA, Mm -hmm. Instagram-y, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I talked to, like, a bunch of people there about this, actually. And um, on the other hand, like, Bali has, like, very distinct, very strong own culture. Mm -hmm. And my, my personal POV on that is like the international exchange of cultures is like a thing that always happened. It's just now happening on a faster, bigger scale. Mm. And this is also how you create culture. Mm. Like You create culture by exchanging ideas, right? Um, it gets interesting if more people and more places in the world have the possibility to uh, define what this culture trend should be—the current one. Like let's say it's every—it's a new mm-hmm. trend every few seconds, every few weeks, mm-hmm. and if they, all of them come from LA and Hollywood, that's boring, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that used to be true for like, a lo- very long time, mm-hmm. you know. And you now have the same movies and same ex- music playing everywhere. Exactly, yeah. same cultures, like basically all mm-hmm. of this. But now it's becoming nowadays. You you uh, you start music and hype trends from like literally anywhere, mm-hmm. and. This is where I think this has like a huge benefit. And this is where I think it's really, really strong. And I personally hope it goes more and more this direction. Um, So I'm not like, I'm personally kind of a fan of this Mm. international exchange. I don't, as you, I don't believe it will become as Mm homologous as people actually worry about. Mm Um, for me, the most, most important aspect here is as I said, like it needs to be in a in a, in a state where everybody can contribute, mm. so that it's actually the best ideas that mm. evolve and become internationally uh, trending, mm. versus just the ideas with the strongest uplink.
1: And that's that gets into interesting thing historically speaking, because we had we had. The reason why Hollywood so, was so powerful is because the United States put so much money into into Hollywood and, and, and national interest tied mm-hmm. with the financial interest yeah, and of spread course. it to the rest of the world. And now we're getting into, I mean, that that will probably still play a role. You'll still have China, Russia, United States invest a lot of money in their national interest mm-hmm. and tie it to businesses. But but is there something else that's going to happen that will will change that so that maybe uh, there will be some more decentralized uh, ways of... of providing culture or technology?
0: Good question. I mean, in general, this is like true for every country. Mm. Like the mm. in, in, in Norwegian, mm. I think it's Norwegian, The they train ambassadors, like people who want to become an ambassador have to go through a course where they teach them death metal <laughs> and black metal uh, because it's such an important cultural export they have. Interesting. Um, and they actually have like courses there they have to take to understand this music genre. Uh, because it's like one of the biggest export uh, successes culturally speaking
1: mm. um, so there's another example Thailand I, I I was I've always wondered why there' are Thai restaurants everywhere mm-hmm. I recently found out that's actually a uh, re- the government invested money and sent Thai people all over the world to set up restaurants. They have a huge subsidy for people yeah. to go and create Thai restaurants everywhere yes. in the world. It's like a national it's a national interest, <laughs> and that's and that's for all for tourism, so that more people end up in Thailand.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah.
1: So, well, I want to go, go to a new question, mm-hmm. which this brought up, which is technology and culture. What is the effect of technology on mm-hmm. culture?
0: I mean, like, sorry, innovation yeah. and technology has yeah. always been one of the main drivers for culture. One of the biggest. Obviously, I think there's a no-brainer here. The interesting aspect that you asked before is around the question of um, Silicon Valley decentralizing culture and all these kind of things and decentralizing impact here. Um, I get regularly asked, like, what I believe is the future of remote work, for example. And I don't see any future in which we are not working online. Mm. I don't see any future in which we are not working internationally like i cannot imagine like nowadays setting up teams and not having people from different cultures or different countries there and i do not see any future in which we will not work more remotely Mm -hmm. i i strongly believe that almost every digital knowledge worker is already working remote they are doing emails on their way to work they are working fridays from a coffee shop you know Mm -hmm. they are maybe doing Joining conference calls while they're on a business trip, you know, so everybody is already working remote. The mm-hmm. only question is like how much mm-hmm. and how enabled, mm-hmm. right? So I strongly believe that in, let's say, in the next five years, we'll just stop calling it remote work. and we'll just it call work. it work. <laughs> yeah, we'll just fucking call it work. Done, right? And I will work for a company in Boston and it's like a normal thing Mm. right it's like i'm fortunate to be in a position to work for a company in boston because everybody knows it's a really cool company and it's like a really well-paying company right Mm. but it's a normal thing Mm. um so in this angle um i think it becomes more and more the strong trend here to say with silicon valley like uh, um, i strongly believe silicon valley isn't so much like a place but more network Mm. Uh, so you could move to Silicon Valley and have no leverage here whatsoever, yep. you know, uh, it's much more about the network and a lot of the people that you associate with Silicon Valley are actually not based in Silicon Valley, they, they move to LA, they move to New York yep. and so on and so on, right? So, or like outside of San Francisco and they never come to San Francisco or the Valley. So it's much more network mm-hmm. and we have this global trend of cities becoming more and more important mm-hmm. and hubs becoming more and more important and mm-hmm. cities becoming these hubs in many places. Mm-hmm. And the question nowadays is much more like there's a global network, for example, in, in startups, there's mm-hmm. a global network. And is your local hub providing enough uplink to that access, system, right? Mm-hmm. And... In many mm. cases, uh, this is like where we're currently playing. Like, is there other startup hubs that are establishing itself? themselves? For example, Los Angeles is establishing itself very well right now in consumer tech. Mm. A lot of, like, if you nowadays start a startup related to consumer tech apps and all this kind of stuff, you most likely would start it in LA. Interesting. Even if, if it's not music and movies, you would most likely start it there. Uh, a lot of VCs in that space moved to like New York. Also mm-hmm. managed to like carve out a few niches, like around, for example, banking or fashion and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And a lot of other cities managed to do similar kind of positioning. Um, the interest, like this, is like level one where we're currently at. The level two, to me, here is like in on individual pace. Mm-hmm. So how will it look like if? Um, it doesn't even matter if you're close to those hubs mm. because those hubs also are actually
1: online on a network it's all mediated exactly. through the internet and that you can access without being in the same physical space exactly yeah yeah which gets into a really interesting thing phenomena which i see happening which is that we are moving most of our consciousness most of our awareness onto the computer onto online networks because you know like every ask one person how much time they spend plugged into a computer mm-hmm. and they're going to say at least 8 hours of their day right like eight hours of their mental space is spent inside of this networked Mm -hmm. technology and knowledge workers since 1980s have that trend has continued now we're getting all our entertainment now we're getting our social life um all the like it's it's there's this magnetism and it's interesting because as we as a species start to face what some people are saying are our existential risks we are now placing most of our awareness in a place that doesn't have the same constraints of space. Basically, Mm -hmm. we have the constraints of space here in San Francisco, which caused the the economics to change. And now most people are placing their consciousness into something that will eventually lead to really, really uh, realistic type games or Mm -hmm. other things that will basically capture our attention in the same way reality would and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. And so that's happening. And then remote work will basically Go off of that trend, and I can see myself in 10, 20 years just putting on VR goggles or even even just putting on AR goggles and like seeing, you know, this coworker of mine pop up in the same room, or it looks like a coworker of mine pops mm-hmm. up in the same room. It's really interesting. What are your thoughts on this kind of move of mental space into a place that doesn't have the same constraints of the space?
0: So I think, okay, where to you start? Um, <laughs> I think one of the biggest problems we have here, for here is like most of the metaphors we use for VR actually come from reality. Mm. And we kind of like think of VR like, hey, we, now we have a meeting room and we all meet in this meeting room and blah, you know, which is why would we do that? Like, it's not like, I mean, <laughs> I mean we, we managed to keep a lot of the metaphors from like paperwork in the, in the laptop. So it will be somehow similar, you know, but like, why, will it, why should it be like mm. the reality? Mm. Just because we're in a different places like So it's almost like what, how will uh, VR first uh, products look like uh, and I think we're like a few years out to, yeah. to probably see that but that's for me like the most interesting part here regarding uploading your consciousness one interesting aspect here is like how much will this be you mm. um, yep. I assume you read a ton of sci-fi mm-hmm. I, like, like yep. I do, like it's literally the only thing I read <laughs> um, there's an interesting series right now, which is completely underhyped and should be read by more people. It's called Bobbyverse. Oh, it's by, it's, a, it's about a guy who's named Bob, uh-huh. who uh, uh, died, but luckily had like an um, agreement to get uh, frozen. And a few hundred years later, uh, a, a group of people uses him for like, getting around a, a legal loophole uh-huh. to basically use his brain patterns to program an AI. Mm. And they use this AI to send out to space mm. as, a, as a drone, mm. right? And this drone can yes. self-replicate. Mm. It's absolutely worth a read. Mm. And one of the interesting aspects here is that the, the drone, like the drone, like basically the, the copy of you believes it's you, mm. but you know it's not you. Mm. And uh, the copy changes mm. and doesn't even realize it changes you know, in the same way as we don't realize we change over time, you know, uh, and it's not the original version the copy of the copy is not the, the, the copy itself, but yep. it's like something distinct, you yep. know. So how do we think about self when it comes to uh, like uploading and like all this kind
1: of stuff? Um, but that, this is a really interesting point because that gets into just experience. So I experience myself as an individual <laughs> and I walk through my day experiencing myself as an individual. I change over time. All the, all the cells yes. in my bodies have, have, yep. have changed in the last 10 years, basically. So, uh, But then I still have the stable sense of self. And then what happens once I start to pick at that or parts of that then get like, do I still, if, if I, how do, I just don't see it, how my subjective experience gets uploaded to a computer and I still feel like myself. You know, you can clone somebody, but when you clone somebody, you're you don't feel like that clone just mm-hmm. has a new con- it's like a twin basically so it's really interesting and i don't, I don't think we know enough about consciousness to really say that the, we don't know the neurological basis of con- consciousness we, do, we have no information on that it's really difficult although i've been reading this great book called other minds which mm-hmm. uh basically this guy studies octopi and octopi have developed nervous systems not quite as as powerful as human beings mm-hmm. but they have brains and this guy argues that they're conscious essentially mm-hmm. um and uh and they're invertebrates, so they don't have a spine. And we, as human beings, have the spine that houses our nervous system, that houses our our, our spinal cord, um, and then protects it. And they're invertebr- invertebrates in the water, and they've somehow developed this consciousness. So, they, mm-hmm. and our most common ancestor is a slug. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's really interesting. That this what, what 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 is consciousness? But <laughs>
0: the the interesting uh, like about the book series I mentioned before, like Verse mm-hmm. is how. Like, in the beginning, he's, like, really reasoning about, like, am I me? Mm. Like, what is consciousness? Mm. Like, are we copies of each other? Like, like, how do we perceive reality? Is this even reality because we're, like, a drone, mm. right? Like, mm-hmm. I only perceive what my sensors give me, and mm. if my sensors are lying to me, like, how would I know? And the interesting thing here is, like, he really, really quickly doesn't care anymore. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, that's how it is, you know, and, like, whatever. Interesting. You know? The yeah. same way as we don't really think about, like, we don't really care about, like, in our body that much about it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, we don't, we don't, we don't even self-aware when we fundamentally change and, like, your your spouse is, like, you changed, you mm-hmm. know, and, like, no, I didn't change. Yeah, I'm the, the, the same fuck? person. Yeah, like what the fuck, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, it's it's. Like, it's super interesting. I, I honestly believe as soon as we actually figure it out, it becomes, like, not important. Interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. It just becomes... This is a really interesting point because technology happens slowly enough where it doesn't seem like a big change. So, like, today I'm using all these apps. I'm using, you know, I'm creating a podcast. I'm doing all this stuff. And it doesn't feel that otherworldly. It doesn't feel like I'm in a science fiction unless I start paying attention to yes. it and then it looks like science fiction.
0: The, the, the interesting thing about innovation is that it's either uh, completely impossible or completely normal. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, of, like yeah, come on, it's just A, B, plus C, mm-hmm. done, mm-hmm. you know? And then, uh, so it's, like, either completely, well, the English word for that is, like, banal, I think. Banal, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. banal. Mm-hmm. Or it's uh, completely impossible. And it, sometimes it's almost like it, you, you see, like, how it shifts from one to the other, like, almost instantly. So, mm-hmm. like, yeah, electric cars are, like, 20 years out and they're completely impossible. And, like, almost instantly afterwards, yeah. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's just not an electric car. Right?
1: Well, this 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 goes back to remote work because a lot of people are saying that, that that itself right now, everybody is talking about remote work. And so how is it not the same thing, not as electric cars, but how mm-hmm. is it not the same thing as self-driving cars, which everybody was talking about the same way as remote work, but then obviously they're not here and they, and it doesn't look like they're going to be here for the next five years. Mm-hmm. And But it probably, you know, in four years, it'll probably be like nobody will pay paying pay attention to it. So how can we have this much hype? Usually it's a sign that hype equals that it's not what it's hyped up to be.
0: I don't, I don't think so, like hype can also mean that uh, it reaches like a critical mass, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And th- that's essentially what hype is, right? Mm-hmm. It reaches a critical mass. And uh, in this case, there is no single thing that can be judged. Mm-hmm. It's more like a behavioral change. Mm-hmm. And we have uh, cultural inertia right now. So we are like kind of used to do stuff a certain way. And other ways get getting critical mass. And this is why this hype is like existing. Because now all of a sudden it's like an alternative that's not a fringe. But like a mm-hmm. soon-to-be maybe default, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for me here, remote work is... I think re- remote work will be like this weird thing until it's like completely normal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you talk to, like, for example, like I was, I'm doing like remote work since, I don't know. And like, like when I joined AngelList to help Mm -hmm. them with the remote feature, I, I, all of a sudden I realized, hey, there are people consulting about remote work. Mm -hmm. Like, there's actually an industry around that, you know, like (laughs) I didn't like, like, what, you know, (laughs) there is actually conferences about that. Mm -hmm. There is people who are opinion leaders on that. And like, why would you be an opinion leader in remote work? Like, that's kind of saying, like, I know how to open a laptop and how to do Hangout. Like, like what does this even mean? Like, yeah. it was completely, like, my brain broke at that moment, you yeah. know? It's kind of like discovering that your favorite childhood series all of a sudden is, like, a really big thing and uh-huh. you didn't notice, right? Yeah. Um, so, and I, I think a lot of people who actually work in remote teams consider just to be completely normal. Yeah. And for them, it's almost, like, sometimes a bit weird to explain it, like, yeah, it's, it's it not works. that crazy, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's a normal thing, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but so, then you go to, you know, Texas or something like that and you talk to somebody who's been working in oil rigs for the past 30 years and remote work would be completely out of bounds for them.
0: Like, I mean, to be fair, I think it's um, when I say about, like I usually focus uh, around digital knowledge mm-hmm. work, you know, yeah. it's mm-hmm. obviously harder to to, to introduce concepts like remote work if, if, if you not no natively no work online, for example, yeah. you know, or if you have like physical products you have to interact with and so on and so on,
1: you know. And this is key because since the 1980s, most of the work in developed countries has been digital work, yes. essentially.
0: Yes, and I only strong, also strongly believe that very soon it's uh, a lot of the non-digital work will be like, or like a lot of work can be automated, as yes. you most mm-hmm. likely agree. And at that point, the question is like, who will um, fix the situation when automation doesn't work? And most likely it won't be a person present. It will be like somebody mm-hmm. completely somewhere else, who's cheaper, yeah. right? So
1: which we're starting. So to see the
0: question them. is like, will the future oil rig person not be like a machine mm-hmm. and somebody
1: externally like helping that machine? Yeah. So yeah. And that's what we're seeing. What we've seen with the military doing that—they've been offloading most of their. Uh, uh, aircraft onto, onto people remotely, remotely, uh, handling it. And mm-hmm. then it's also been happening in other places. Yeah. The self-driving cars the, the, the just saw a video of a truck being driven by somebody who wasn't remotely in another area. It's mm-hmm. not a self-driving car, but it's, it's a remotely driven car. Um, and it yeah,
0: works. I'm, I'm personally worried about that one regarding because of latencies and everything, but sure. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. That's really interesting. What is the biggest, uh, threat to remote work actually happening? Or, sorry, that's
0: uh, a yeah. bit. <laughs> like, what would we need to be true for remote work not to become a big yeah. thing, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I try to think this through. Like, like, for me, it's almost like a default given. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in my head, if I replace remote, if I need to replace the word remote, it would be like online mm-hmm. or internet. Mm-hmm and i'm a huge nerd maybe like i'm biased but i cannot see a future in which we will not work more online Mm -hmm. like it's it's impossible Mm -hmm. like it's becoming the default and when i think of like remote i think of like online internet mobile all Mm -hmm. these kind of things and there is no way around this so the Mm -hmm. only question is like how much and the question now we can talk about is for example organizational structures Mm -hmm. will it be co-located, uh, with like, uh, will it be like hybrid structured where you have like a part in some place, like a headquarter and like everybody else working remote? Mm. Um, will it be uh, fully distributed, you know? Mm. And uh, will it be synchronous teams that work like in one time zone or like in a range of like, let's say five hours, right? Mm. And everybody has to roughly be available in these five hours or will it be completely asynchronous where you have, no, I I, I, I sent a message and this person will see it in eight hours. I don't care, mm-hmm. right? And that's the spectrum where we're discussing almost. Like it's mm-hmm. not so much like, will remote work be a thing? It's mm-hmm. like how asynchronous will be the default?
1: How distributed will the teams be by default? Mm-hmm. That's more the, the spectrum of discussion in my opinion. And that seems so related to the individual organizations, the individuals yes. in the organization and stuff like that. And you kind of develop a solution based on who, who is doing the work.
0: Yes, and it's also like heavily influenced by the just the founders, mm-hmm. team culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the most asynchronous teams I know are heavily asynchronous because the founders like doing that, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And the teams that are heavily synchronous are because like the founders think that's the right approach. Mm-hmm. So yeah.
1: Was AngelList uh, w- was it remote when you joined?
0: AngelList isn't really a remote company. It's it's. it's oh,
1: also, you're you're looking at others. Yeah. At uh, oh, okay, you're looking.
0: Like AngelList one, is okay. a. It's really really hard to give any answer on AngelList mm-hmm. because AngelList is like a, it's a. Big beast of multiple things. Mm-hmm. It's there is um, several units that do fundamentally different things, mm-hmm. different business models. There is like a unit that's basically one of the largest venture infrastructure providers out there. Mm-hmm. We, uh, it's like the whole venture area, which is like literally one third of all interesting deals in the, in the valley. Mm-hmm. Um, starting from like small funds up to large international funds, investing through AngelList into small companies without having a local blah, blah, blah. Then there is like talent, which is job hiring. One of the, I think it's, at least in a remote space, I know it's the largest job board for remote, Mm. although we don't really communicate that much Mm. uh, yet. Um, And I don't know how many million people find jobs through that. Uh, There's like product hunt. We even have like spin out like, teams that are, for legal reasons, we spun them out. Mm -hmm. So we have like a cryptocurrency, uh, sorry, a Mm -hmm. cryptocurrency team Mm -hmm. around CoinList. Mm -hmm. We have a crowdsourcing uh, project around Republic and a bunch of other teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's really, really hard to give an answer to like
1: what is AngelList
0: because, for example, Product is fully distributed. The team that does like every aspect around social features in like the platform team in AngelList is fully distributed. Venture is mostly in San San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Talent is in San Francisco, uh, Germany, Mm -hmm. remote, Mm -hmm. Denver, Mm -hmm. uh, Canada, like you name it, like a bunch of places, Mm -hmm. right? But doesn't think of itself as a remote team because it has a New York office, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So... This, well, kind
1: of, yeah. this kind of gets into something interesting because I've been thinking a lot. I was talking to a salesperson about remote work and he was like, well, yeah, I've been doing this for, yes. for 20, sales 30 people years. Salespeople fucking invented yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, it hasn't, it's, it's something that's been around for quite a long time in this one section. Yeah. Who, who is doing interesting stuff in terms of sales in remote work? Do you know? If...
0: I, I'm, I'm the worst person to ask about okay. sales. Uh, like it's, yeah. it's literally one of the big blind spots I have, uh-huh. uh, but yeah, I, I can't give a qualified answer. No You're problem. Very, very sorry. But I know that salespeople, like if you think about it, like who has been on the road, who called in, mm-hmm. like who used literally every technology available as soon as it was there yeah. was always salespeople. Mm-hmm. Like who were the first people who used like cell phones when they were like, holy shit, what the fuck are you carrying here? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, salespeople. salespeople. Who were the first people who used like uh, literally any app that could get to stay in contact and to update, you know? Mm-hmm. It was salespeople, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. There's
1: really a really funny story. I, uh zoom you know is obviously mm-hmm. a lot of people know about zoom right now i found out about zoom about a year and a half ago from my meditation teacher who's mm-hmm. a seven-year-old israeli in israel uh <laughs> and he told me about zoom like a year and a half ago uh he, he was in high tech and he, he had a phd in physics and stuff like that but now he's a meditation teacher and uh, he's the one who i found out zoom from and zoom is actually being used like crazy for spiritual practice like for meditation meetups uh i in another facebook group where they're using it uh and it, so it's like it's everywhere uh, in, in these other things that was the weirdest thing you know I, I lived in silicon valley or san francisco and i hadn't heard about this thing <laughs> until this guy in, in india in israel told me about it so the, really... the zoom
0: was almost getting famous because every distributed team when they reached 15 people were like Fuck, hangout doesn't work anymore yeah. mm-hmm. so hangout and skype yeah. <laughs> yeah so what do we use mm-hmm. and this is roughly the time also like when we started using zoom back then mm-hmm. and uh, i'm a huge fan i also wonder like I, I invested in a company, as I like I can't dis, like whatever. Like I invested in one company that's kind of like, how would you rethink video conference? Mm-hmm. Because most of what we use as video conference is mm-hmm. literally video conference. Mm-hmm. Like it's there's a conference table on one end, most likely with mm-hmm. some people talking, and the conference table on the other end, maybe, and some people joining in, you know, mm-hmm. and actually people talking over a table, yep. you know, <laughs> and that's like a horrible experience yep. for everybody. Uh-huh. So how would you rethink this? If you would just say like, let's start from fresh, Mm, right? mm -hmm. And I think the potential Zoom killer
1: will be in that area, like, and yeah, probably be virtual as well, virtual reality.
0: Maybe, Um, maybe, yeah. I'm I'm personally, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm actually personally not that bullish on Mm -hmm. virtual reality. It's Mm -hmm. like one of those things to me when I like. It as again it, it's 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 useless until it's normal mm-hmm. almost like mm-hmm. it's impossible until it's normal, yeah. and here it's almost the same like I need like once the glasses are kind of there and I use them instead of my screen because the screen is too small, mm-hmm. fair yeah. right then it's mm-hmm. then it's a normal thing, mm-hmm. yeah like I I personally I'm 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 wondering like how many interesting products will mm-hmm. come up, mm-hmm. because remote teams kind of need them, mm-hmm. and it's not that remote teams have unique aspects to them like. Mm-hmm. The problem is more that remote teams almost have like, um, I would say, 5x in uh, complexity or process needs yeah. to normal teams. Yeah.
1: And so, that's people stuff,
0: essentially. Most like yeah, yeah. yeah mostly. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you're like five people in an office, you're like, and let's be realistic in San Francisco, mm-hmm. like bros, let's have a meeting. And everybody gets up, mm-hmm. uh, drops their, their their weights, I know, like puts <laughs> the, the protein people, shake yeah. away at the yeah. soil end, and yeah. like comes to the meeting room and like whatever they do there. Um, and they will uh, have a meeting, and it's okay. like spontaneous, right? And yeah. it's it's fine. And then mm-hmm. everybody knows roughly what's up, and then everybody leaves. You know, in a remote team, you can't do this because Frank, who is like currently wherever or is like bringing the kids to work, yeah. can't now just join a meeting because you had this epiphany of having a meeting like fucking right now mm. in the middle of the night yeah. that's not possible so you need to do crazy things you need to do like an announcer meeting plan a
1: meeting maybe even take meeting notes mm-hmm. which you wouldn't do in a small team right well that's what gitlab does is one of the brilliant things gitlab has done is just recorded everything and yes. then put it online yes. and it serves as a marketing thing for them as well yes yeah
0: and the, the, so you basically have like 5x, right? Like you have a 25 people. You behave like with five people remote, you behave like 25 mm-hmm. people in an office. You wouldn't announce meetings if you're five people unless it's a really important meeting, right? Yeah. You wouldn't take notes unless like, you know, you need to, yeah. right? And in a, remote teams, you have to. So you all of a sudden, you have small teams that don't have um, complex... Uh, a, purchasing mm-hmm. processes that mm-hmm. don't have complex compliance requirements, mm-hmm. but have certain complexity uh, needs, mm-hmm. like, and, like almost like it's becoming the fact that remote teams becoming a hack for enterprise software to discover what they actually should build. Mm-hmm. Because in a weird way, a company like Google with like several thousand people is a remote team in denial. Mm-hmm. It's, it's If you, if you <laughs> yeah, work at yeah. Google, Definitely. you're very likely to have once a week a conference call with like your team, right? Mm-hmm. And a part of maybe one or two people, actually nobody is around you who's working on the same thing. That's a, a, mm-hmm. a realistic scenario. am yeah. not saying always, but it's a realistic scenario. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you are actually working on something where technically the team in Switzerland is responsible, you're like fully remote, mm-hmm. like it's holy shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, really hard to build products for, like, large enterprises. It's really, really hard to sell them, you know, and it's really, really hard to even, like, find product market fit, like, iterate, Mm -hmm. iterate, iterate, and actually nail something, which is like, holy shit, why didn't this exist before? It's so freaking obvious, Uh, right? And remote Mm -hmm. teams almost become, like, a hack here. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering what kind of new apps and new products will be discovered because remote teams need them, and, like, Mm -hmm. one of them is rethinking video conferences, mm-hmm. rethinking meetings, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. rethinking, as you said with GitLab before, like uh, manuals, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's almost like nowadays you're forced to write an onboarding document and it's never updated. Mm-hmm. In a remote team, it's almost like the thing that you want, mm-hmm. like they want, yeah. like it's, it's it's coming to the point that they're like, hey, we're like hiring our fifth person. We really want to write an o- a manual, mm-hmm. like yeah. we really want to Everybody do that because it. I I, if I have to sit in another three-hour hangout call explaining somebody how it, we do A, B, and C, yeah. I will freaking kill myself.
1: And this is a great point. I can't remember who told me it, but it's a great point, which is that most people, San Francisco, this kind of technology industry here, most people get out of college. And usually it's like Harvard or Yale or one of these big schools. And they come to San Francisco and they, they just got out of this four-year university environment where they're partying and, yeah. and doing all this stuff. And then they come to San Francisco and they want a little bit of that. And so they, they join a company, a bigger yeah. company, and they get the alcohol in the office and they meet all their friends and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. Somebody like that will not work in a remote work.
0: I mean, that's, I would say, not a negative filter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
1: exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting because it's like that cuts out a fair amount of people. Like it, cut it.
0: Um, Two nuances to that? Yeah. Uh, or differently put, like two things... That are, in my opinion, limiting remote work from actually hitting mainstream is uh, two different concepts which people always associate with remote work. One of them is working from home. Mm. Uh, by default, a lot of people assume remote work either means working from home in the sense of like a s- few days a week, mm. or even if it's an actual remote worker, they always work from home. Mm. And a lot of people say, like, yeah, I couldn't do this, I would feel lonely, and I couldn't do this because A, B, and C, or like I wouldn't have the self discipline to actually work from home, blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, so do I. Mm. <laughs> like, I don't like working from home, mm. period. Mm. Like, I don't do it. In San Francisco, when I work with the team in New York, I go to the San Francisco office, you know. in uh, When I work from, for example, Europe, I, I rent a desk in a friend place of mine. They have a small office four or five people are in there Mm -hmm. everybody's working remote Mm -hmm. you know and i come there and it's like the most normal thing ever like everybody there works 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 remote everybody works for a different company Mm -hmm. but still hey hey, let's have fucking lunch together Mm -hmm. you know and then in the evening hey let's let's have a beer right Mm -hmm. i strongly recommend actually getting a like getting into a small office ideally not everybody being a part of one big clique you know and you're the only person not So I think there is a market for establishing small co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to productize it, but I think there's a market for that. So Mm -hmm. work from home is not necessarily by default remote work. The other one is digital nomads. Mm -hmm. A lot of people associate digital nomads or vacations or like work vacations with remote work in a sense of, I mean, I would love to work remote as well. I mean, it would be beautiful to travel the world and like work from a beach and whatever. But I couldn't get shit done if I do that, (sighs) you know, and I'm like, of course you don't. Like, I don't either. Like, <laughs> yeah. nobody does, yeah. you know? Uh-huh. Like, the very, very few people who do digital nomad actually travel a lot, yeah. you it's, know? Yeah, you go slow, essentially. Exactly. Like, mm-hmm. if you actually work remote, yeah. um, you most likely will go really, really slow. You mm-hmm. become like a digital man, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And you are staying at the one place two, three months, and that's fine, right? Mm-hmm. And then you become and, and, and live there, right? Mm-hmm. Uh actual digital nomads, like digital backpackers who change every two weeks, Don't you can't inc- You can't have them in the... Like, a, they need one or two weeks to be actually productive. Yeah. Most likely, it's a pain in the ass to actually work with them. Like, for example, at Product Hunt or any of most distributed teams I know, it's, it's okay to go nomad yeah, at some point, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be the default. Yeah. And if you are working from different places, it's better if you stay there a few months, like one month at least, two mm-hmm. months at least, you know, just to get your own productivity
1: up. Well, and there's also another interesting, so it was really funny because I started living in other countries. I first started traveling in other yeah. countries and then I started living in other countries. This was all before remote work happened. Yeah. And I essentially found myself that if I tra- go from place to place, I feel ungrounded and I yeah. feel like it had nothing to do with work. It's just like, I didn't feel like I had somewhere. So I ended up living in other countries, so I ended up yeah. moving to a place for like four to five months and like really getting yes. to know that place. And I
0: highly recommend everybody doing that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I highly recommend it's such, it's like one of the most mind-expanding things that i've ever done particularly if you learn the language and get into the locals as yes. well like so so cool Have you done I, all yeah
0: yeah i so the biggest the strongest experience was actually outside of my work life it was when i was still studying mm. and i did a foreign semester in argentina mm. and i honestly tried to study there as well like most of the time it was steak and party but i tried <laughs> i tried to try yeah. to study as well but it it like Two things happened that like still today are like uh, almost like foundational for me. One is when I actually learned Spanish mm. and I realized that all the shops in my street have like really funny names. Mm. <laughs> and I didn't notice this before. And all of a sudden I felt like differently embedded. Yeah. At this point I was already living with like a local and was like really awesome experience in general. Like I felt really like at home. But when I actually like this, this, I I, I was getting to the level that I understood Spanish puns mm. i was like holy shit like this is actually a really funny name mm. and all of a sudden i'm standing in front of a, like the most cliche ever <laughs> i'm standing in front of an hairdresser which has a punny name which is like the most boring thing you can do as a hairdresser yeah. you know <laughs> and i had this epiphany moment of like being really really excited and but like literally laughing about a, a sign yeah like like you're the biggest dork ever like yeah. come on this is like every fucking hairdresser does has a punny name like what an idiot are you but this was like a grounding moment in this yeah. moment right uh-huh. um uh, number two was uh, seeing my own culture from an outside POV. Uh, so I'm, technically, I'm, like my family is Austrian. So you might heard this Germanic accent, right? And Austria is like kind of very similar to lower Germany area, like culturally. And I saw a um, TV spot about the Oktoberfest in Argentinian TV with like the uh, Spanish narrator, like talking about it. And my flatmate was like, I mean, that's a little bit like, you know, like for the TV, for the TV cameras, that's a little bit much, right? Yeah. And i was like, nah, it's actually <laughs> that's true. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's literally how yeah, it is. Like, know. that's fucking how it is. Uh-huh. And in that case, it was the Munich Oktoberfest. It was like super, on, super full-on tourist, yeah. you know, but like yeah. we have similar stuff. It's yeah. not that far out. Mm-hmm. And then I showed him stuff of like, that's traditional Austrian. And like, we have dances where... You you clap your feet and you, you you slap the other person. And that's like a traditional dance. <laughs> and so all of a sudden you have like this person with like feathers in their hat and like with this weird leather hosen, uh-huh. uh, slapping each other and the Argentinian guy's looking at me like, What the fuck is like what the fuck is that? Yeah. You no, know, like holy shit. Like he's to me like that's really exotic. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, all of a sudden I'm in Latin America and yeah. I'm like, I'm realizing, yeah, shit, like, we are exotic as yeah. well. It's yeah. not like only, like, Latin America is, like, the exotic place. Like, this shit is fucking exotic. Yeah. So I highly recommend every person to live in another continent for, like, at least a
1: few months in their life. Yeah. It completely reframes how to think about that word. Yeah. And it, uh, it's, you know, the, what we know about brain, of the brain plasticity, yeah. plasticity, like you place yourself in another environment, particularly yeah. one without a language, without a common language, your yeah. brain will undergo tra- changes that you can't really, can't really get that anywhere else. Like, yes. you go back to nature, you can go into the woods, that will change it in a different way. But if you go into a foreign city and everybody's speaking a different language, you get on the bus, it's all in different <laughs> language. Like, your brain is tra- changing. Yes. I've found that it's changed, like... I am so grateful for like eight years of doing that basically living in other countries and like and i've learned four languages and like my brain has changed in ways that i couldn't imagine possible basically yeah
0: mm-hmm. I, and I have nothing to add here like i highly recommend doing it mm. period yeah
1: so what are things that won't go remote <laughs>
0: um so i usually focus on digital knowledge work uh, right and uh-huh. uh i i as I said before, like I strongly believe if you are actually working with physical products, mm. at least the people who are working around the physical products, maybe not, right? Yeah. Another thing is um, I tend to say innovation is easier in person and iteration is easier uh, like single, like, mm. like f- uh, remote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't mean like innovation in the sense of like we're doing something innovative because every startup needs to do innovative stuff every day, yeah. right? That, mm-hmm. That's not what I mean. I mean, like radical pivots. Like, holy shit, what we do doesn't work. We need to change that. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're doing a new pr- a new coil project. It's a big thing. It's a big investment, you know. Um, we need to fire somebody. Mm-hmm. Or, like, we need to restructure how we actually manage as a company. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of stuff is easier in person mm-hmm. because it's a lot of nuance that you actually lose. And it's a little bit easier to not lose this nuance if you're, like, together in one room and you discuss stuff, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. especially with whiteboard and this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So... This kind of stuff I always recommend in person. So the question is, in this case, it's not so much like on the spectrum, it's not so much like binary, it's not like remote, not remote. It's mm-hmm. much more which moments in your year of work mm-hmm. will you actually meet in person? Mm-hmm. And I re- highly recommend every remote team to meet every three to four months, for example, yeah. or individual teams to even like for, for bigger projects, for kickoffs and all this kind of stuff, or quarterly planning and mm-hmm. all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other angle to this is there is... If it's a physical product, it, there's a high chance that this will not... Like, at least a team around the physical product will mm-hmm. work together around the physical product. Yeah. So, I'm talking like a friend of mine and discussed with me like how they can do more of their engineering remote. And what they literally do is they're working with MRI devices. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's a mm-hmm. fucking huge device. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, it it's unlikely that you yeah. can send this to every person you have in the middle of nowhere, right? Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> What the hell, right? So yeah, maybe like a few teams in that company can Uh, become remote, which is a very normal approach. Maybe the customer care team becomes remote. Mm. Maybe the sales team becomes Mm. remote, which is very common, Mm. right? Maybe a part of the engineering team that focuses on A, B, and C, maybe like the infrastructure, Mm. development Mm. uh, ops. Maybe the uh, one aspect, maybe the team that actually focuses on the web tools Mm. that can become remote. Mm. It's unlikely that the people who actually have to engineer the MRI devices... Mm. Uh,
1: will go remote, yep. you know, and so, yeah. uh, and biotech. And that's what I'm thinking. Biotech mm-hmm. has to stay yeah, complicated exactly. for a while. I
0: think most likely. I, I, I can't judge this area. Mm-hmm. The other is obviously like service culture and mm-hmm. like a lot of non-digital knowledge work mm-hmm. kind of work, right? Mm-hmm. Service culture. I don't think my hairdresser will ever be remote. Mm-hmm. I think before he will yeah. be remote or she will be
1: remote. She's more more likely to be automated. Yeah. You this know? is an interesting thing. I, uh, for uh, I did a lot of yoga teacher training and massage uh, training, and I was thinking that massage will probably be the last thing that goes automated, basically, because <laughs> it's like you you might be able to figure out how to develop a robot with uh, sensors in their hands that can. But it's still there's something about it that like the energetic exchange is very difficult to automate. I don't know how to do. And then there's another one, which is meditation teacher. Okay. Uh, how because a a, a you can't automate that. You can automate the meditation concentration techniques. Okay. You can you can design AI to to remind you to do a meditation technique, but you can't teach meditation uh, because it, it particularly... But this is what most people don't even get about it in Silicon Valley is that you, you, you all these apps that are being created are essentially useless because um, they're not really getting to the core fundamental issues that people have, uh, and which is best done in a one-on-one relationship. Okay, you have to explain the, this to me yeah. because
0: I... So self-care in the, in the widest sense from like meditation to yoga to restorative yoga to nutrition to health to sport to everything mm. to, to psychology and everything mental health um, I think this is one of the huge really really huge untapped consumer markets mm. yet mm-hmm. and i Super bullish on this kind of app. So if you
1: like, you need to no, tell me like So why no, they're not. they're gonna they will work financially. They have a space. They yeah, they will work financially for that first level. That okay. people, When people are like, oh, I feel like shit. My you know, like my life's going crazy. And they're, most people don't be like, oh, I need a one-on-one teacher. They do. They they what do does have it, like, what,
0: what does a one-on-one teacher teach you?
1: Uh, so the it's this gets hard to explain, but so this meditation teacher that I have in Israel, uh, I meet with him every Monday, and we it's not traditional, so it's not a traditional what would happen mm-hmm. with the meditation instruction, um, but. I sit with him and we have a conversation and he points me to the truth over and over and over again. Um, and this is truth in the the sense that reality is the way it is. My perception of reality is a perception of reality. Mm-hmm. I can never touch reality. I can I can always perceive it, mm-hmm. but I will never get to it. And so he just reminds me of that over and over and over again. And I do not see a computer being able to, because everybody's walking around from their own subjective mm-hmm. framework with their own fantasies and if they get put on Headspace, they're never going to get at those fantasies. They're mm-hmm. never going to really realize that most of what they're doing is defined by identities that were created in childhood based on difficult experiences that they went to. Um, okay,
0: yeah. got it. So yeah. what you're basically saying is like the best case scenario we could get to, and like a, a placebo simulation, where like you have a script that per, like does the motions yeah. of somebody mm-hmm. who would understand what actually needs to be said, yeah, but not actually understands it. Because yeah. it's so fundamental about human existence and consciousness it is like too far away to just say like here's training input, training output, figure it out.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think in the same way that, that uh, computers are really good at playing chess, mm-hmm. but they're really bad at playing Starcraft. Mm-hmm. So Starcraft requires strategy, like multiple different things that are unrelated and tying them all together. Chess is a very tactical game, which can be automated because most of it is, is made up of moves that can be seen <laughs> and structured. It's highly structured. Uh, and so in, in that same way, it's like when you're dealing with really core emotional issues, you can't see them. Nobody, nobody can. It's very difficult for you to see on your own. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's why you get someone else who can basically serve as a mirror to show you what's going on. Psychologists are really good at this. Meditation teachers are really so good at it's this.
0: So it's closer to coaching.
1: And coaching is the other one. That's the okay, one. got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there will be a first layer of these Headspace type apps and stuff like that. But for the goal, which most people don't really realize that, that that's the goal, most people are approaching these things as self-care. Yeah, It's not self-care. Meditation is self-annihilation. Uh, it's, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> it's destroying what you think is yourself. And, <laughs> and most people don't go into it with that idea because uh, <laughs> it's impossible to do that because we're all motivated by goals. Most, and that's, that's the interesting thing, which is that Silicon Valley is following for one of the... Biggest traps uh in this in this thing. They're approaching it from this sense of I am going to do a productivity hack by meditating. Yeah. Uh and they don't realize that this is not new. This is something that has been done for thousands of years. Yeah. So we used to have kings who would have spiritual advisors who would uh tell them mantras and tell them the yeah. key spiritual practices they needed to do in order to gain material power yeah. and win yeah. win against the enemies and spells and all this yeah. different stuff. All that is normal. Silicon Valley is now uh rediscovering it and it's a trap because this practice, if done correctly, uh, does not. I mean, it does lead to material gain. Yeah. But it doesn't. The the value doesn't come from that material gain, because yeah. the more you the more you go towards, for lack of a better word, spiritual, the more abundant life becomes, yes. and the more just everything like you, you all of your needs are essentially. So basically, you know, once you could achieve it, you wouldn't care. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it will come. And 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 like I work with one coach who who helps me figure out how to become more abundant but it always starts from this essentially like this 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 is the goal liberation is the goal freedom is the goal like Mm -hmm. uh understanding myself is the goal getting rid of these these habits are the goal and the the material byproducts are a byproduct they're Mm -hmm. they're not the goal yeah
0: so you're almost saying like uh, uh, san francisco is approaching it like to improve oneself and the goal
1: here is actually to Become less self-obsessed. Yeah, and and destroy that sense, mm-hmm. that small sense of self, mm-hmm. uh, and and essentially create a larger sense of self. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. or no sense of self, as the Buddhists would talk about. This is the main debate between Buddhists and Hindus. Yes, uh, for I was, last, th- I was yeah, thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah, is yeah, it's that the Buddhists believe no self? There is no thing mm-hmm. you can point to and say that is my self because everything is changing, constantly changing. Mm-hmm. Hindus were like that small self that we consider that is not something, but when you look deep, there is a self and it's a huge self and it's the self everybody else has and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool, so yeah, we've uh, we've been going for a while. Uh, anything that you've read, thought about, had a concept, somebody told you in the last five days <laughs> to a week that has influenced your life in a positive way? Oh, Jesus. Um... <laughs>
0: In the last five days, I've been super jet lagged. <laughs> so I highly
1: recommend. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll give you. I'll I give, highly recommend um, melatonin. <laughs> uh, I'll give you another recommendation. Yeah. So a great thing to do on on the airplane in a transatlantic or, or, or transoceanic flight, uh, stop eating about three hours before before you get there, and don't eat until the next morning, um, and fast and essentially, and you mm-hmm. will you will wake up that next morning on the time zone, feeling energized. Uh, like I read about this somewhere. I tried it out, and it's like it, it works every single time. Interesting. Fasting, fasting until you wake up the next morning.
0: The the, the hard thing about jet lag is usually not the next day. Uh-huh. It's usually the third day. Two, yeah, yeah. Third day. Yeah. So like,
1: uh, I, uh, this works for that too.
0: Right? I I fly so much recently, mm. and I usually stay long enough to actually
1: suffer the hang the, the jet lag. And then you go again.
0: Uh, exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I'm a huge fan of melatonin nowadays.
1: Why why are you doing that if you're remote? Why are you going to all these different places? I try to avoid it. Uh-huh. It yeah. just happens. Yeah. All right. yeah. It's like
0: for some reason, I need to
1: go to this place and yeah. uh, there's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and I hope, uh, hope you can come back on again. Thanks for having me. Uh, oh, and uh, how can people find you if they want to? Find oh, sorry
0: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, first name, last name, uh, pretty much every platform. Like at Andreas Kling on Twitter, for example. Like the easiest way to reach me is actually through Twitter. Like just DM me. Mm-hmm. It's um it's very unlikely that I reply to an email because my email I, I'm I'm always inbox zero, but it's I'm also inbox zero because I just like just delete a lot of emails. Mm. Um,
1: and Klinger with a K, right?
0: Yeah, Klinger yeah. with a K. Yeah. Um, so I highly recommend DMing me on Twitter. Uh, one thing that would be super interesting if you work in the space of remote work, uh, if you do, for example, software or tools or consulting or anything in that area, like reach out to me, more than happy to connect you with people, more than happy to connect you with money, more than happy to give advice if possible, you know. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of really smart, talented people with awesome projects out there. Mm-hmm. And the biggest uh, success criteria we have nowadays isn't uh, merit, merit; it's actually a network. Mm. So mm-hmm. if I can do anything to hack the network, like please reach out to me. Mm.
1: That's almost another podcast about about, <laughs> about networks that I we talked a little bit about that. But that yeah. would have been really
0: cool. But cool. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode I did with Andreas Klinger. And if you did, please find find us on Crazy Wisdom on iTunes, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, any of those channels, that's where we're publishing. And uh, if you are interested in that online course, uh, please find more information at Uh I'll be working with Anders Jones, the CEO of Facet Wealth, who raised $40 million for his distributed team and is taking on the financial services industry and is right about to hit that hyper growth, so has some really important information for any entrepreneurs who are Interested in building a business that is larger than a billion dollars? Uh, so if you're the, if you're that type of person, please find out more information by subscribing to my blog stuartalsop.substack.com. I release every episodes every Monday and Friday before your morning commute. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed this episode and hope you find value in the content I'm providing.